Well, good morning, Central Heights. It's so good to be with you here this morning, whoever you are, wherever you're joining us from, wherever you are at in this moment, in this season of life. I'm really, really glad you're here. If we haven't met yet, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here, and we've been in a series called Why over the last few weeks, and and maybe when you're hearing this, it's a, a few months ago, but we've been in a series called Why, where we've been taking these questions or statements or, or things that God said, and we're bringing the question why alongside it, and we're asking why. Why did God say that, and what does that mean for our lives in response to that? And, and asking that question why is, is so important, because when we know why, it changes what we do and how we do it, and so why matters. And that's why we've been doing this series, and so this morning, we're going to bring this question of why alongside one more topic. And we're going to be asking the question this morning, why give? And so if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be camping out in verses uh, 1 to 9 this morning. And, and as you're turning there, this is a letter written by Paul the Apostle to a church in Corinth, a city that's so much like our modern day Vancouver. And he's writing to them both to do, defend his his apostleship and his leadership in the church, but also to call them to a way of life in the world, a way of responding to God and what he's doing that blesses others and makes a difference in the world around them. And so we pick up Paul's letter in the middle uh, in chapter eight, verse one. This is what he says to the church in Corinth. He says this, we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now when Paul writes this, he's not writing to a people that are detached from history. He's actually writing to real people going through real things at a real moment in history. He's speaking into a people who are facing an extraordinary moment, both in their suffering and in what, was, in what God was doing in the middle of all of that. He describes what this moment is like in verses 1 and 2. Look again there with me. He says this, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed on a wealth of generosity on their part. And so Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about 
what is happening in the church in Macedonia in a region just north of where Corinth is. And he's saying they are going through these extraordinary moments. They are in a time of severe trouble and they're living in extreme poverty. They were experiencing extraordinary distress, adversity, and trouble. They were being pushed to the very limit on a social, a physical, a mental, an emotional, even a spiritual level. They were being pushed to the max, stretched thin. They are going through something that Paul can only describe as a severe time of trouble. And on top of all of that, Paul says they have little to no money. They are the poorest of the poor people that in, in this area, he's saying that these are the kind of people that have to actually beg to survive. That's the word that he uses actually, is the word he uses to describe their extreme poverty is used to describe people who have to beg for food, for money, to live, to make it through day by day. And so Paul is, is not talking about people with a lot of money. He's not talking about a people who have expendable income. He's talking about the poorest of poor people. Whatever they have, they need it to survive. And whatever they don't have, they have to go beg others who have some money to give or food to give to, to, to give it to them so that they can actually make it and survive. This is how poor they are. And we might not be able to relate to being poor. Maybe we can. Maybe you're listening to this and that's your situation is that you are living paycheck to paycheck and you're struggling to make ends meet. But for most of us, that's not our story. We can't really relate to the poverty side of things, but we can definitely relate to the time of trouble, can't we? I mean, we've been in an extraordinary time, haven't we? I mean, since this global pandemic has hit, our way of life has been completely disrupted. We felt new levels of fear and worry and uncertainty and anxiety. Many of us have felt isolated and alone. We're disconnected from our people. We're disconnected from the way of life that is normal, that we're comfortable with. Financially, many of us have taken a hit. Some of us have been laid off and we're living on EI. Some of us have very little money and the bank account's dwindling. Money is tight. We're not working. Our world and our control has just continuously gotten smaller and smaller as time has gone on. And so we look at what is happening to the church in Macedonia and we can look at them and go, yeah, I, I get it. I understand the time of trouble. I get how hard it has been for them. I get it. But what might be harder to relate to is what was happening in the middle of all this. And so Paul comes along, he says, they are in a severe time of trouble. But then he also says that their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And so with everything stacked against them, with the circumstances pressing and threatening to crush them day in and day out, with high levels of stress and fear and adversity, this group of people who had every reason to be downcast and discouraged experienced abundant joy. They experienced above and beyond joy. They experienced a joy that lifted them above their circumstances and helped them to experience something that their circumstances didn't line up with, that they experienced above and beyond joy. And that's amazing enough in the middle of all they were facing, in the middle of all they were experiencing, both outside of them and inside of them. That's amazing enough that they would experience abundant joy. But not only that, this same group of people who had every reason to think only of themselves, to think only of taking care of their needs, started thinking of other people and what they needed. 
And, and they did something unthinkable. They took what little money they had and they gave it to what God was doing to help meet the needs of others in the world. They gave generously in a time of trouble. Paul says it this way in verse three. He says, they gave according to their means as I can testify. And so Paul is saying, look, I, can, I saw this with my own eyes. They gave what they could. But more than that, he says, they gave beyond their means of their own accord. And so what Paul is saying is that on their own, without any direction or any pressure from anyone, these group of people, these churches filled with people who had very little money, gave what they could and more. They gave above and beyond what anyone would have asked of them in that moment. Their generosity overflowed and they started to give to help other people. It abounded. First, because they felt joy inside of them and secondly, because they wanted to join God in what he was doing in the world. And this, this blew Paul's mind. I mean, Paul had no category for this level of generosity. He said they came to him and they were begging him earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, Paul says in verse 5, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And so the situation Paul's talking about is that the churches in Macedonia had heard that there were people, followers of Jesus in Jerusalem who were poor and were also struggling. And they had heard how the churches outside of Jerusalem had banded together and started this collection, uh, to this offering, this, this modern day GoFundMe page to help support the people who were suffering in Jerusalem, people, people that they had never even met. And so they, they, wanted to give to this. They came to Paul and they were begging him earnestly and they were pleading with him, we want in, we want to help. Even though we don't have much, even though we're faced with incredible difficulties, stress and anxiety and all of that, even though we're in the middle of this trial, we want to join God in what he's doing in the world. We want to help others because we've experienced a joy inside of us that this world cannot take, that our circumstances can't steal from us. And if you're like me, when you read that, you're asking, why on earth would they ever do such a thing? Why give in a time of trouble? Why give when all the cards are stacked against you? Why give to people you've never even met to help them, to help them have something they don't currently have? And Paul's only explanation, the only reason that he can come up with is that God did it. That it was God who did it. It was the grace of God that, that he had given to the churches. God, he says in verse one, that God had poured out his grace in the churches and that had activated this joy, that had mobilized this generosity in these people. It was the grace of God moving in the hearts of people that motivated them to do the unthinkable, that led them to do what they would never do otherwise. I mean, how else can you explain something like this happening? A people who had everything stacked against them going and doing something like this. We can only come to the same conclusion that Paul did, is that God's grace and power were at work in people's lives. God moved and it moved his people to do the unthinkable, even in a time of trouble. So this is the kind of God we have, church. This is the kind of God who makes impossible things become possible, even when there's so much stacked against him, even though there's so much stacked against us, 
And this teaches us something really important in this time that we're in is that the grace of God cannot be stopped in times of trouble. When the storm rages, when there seems like there's no way out, when seemingly everything is stacked against you and it should never happen, nothing can stop the grace of God, his power at work in his people. Like Job, who experienced incredible pain and suffering and lost, he lost everything, his family, all his property, everything, he was physically afflicted. Job could look back at God in that moment of suffering and he could say, God, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. This is the kind of God we have and we can look at him in this moment and say, God, I know that you can do anything, that nothing is impossible for you, that no one can stop you. Even a time of trouble cannot stop you. And so the grace of God cannot be stopped in times of trouble, but more than that, the grace of God can motivate us to do the unthinkable in a time of trouble. If you look back at verse one, the starting point for this church's generosity was a move of God, him pouring out his grace upon them. As this always works with God, as God moves first and then humans respond to what God is already doing in them. And so this means for us, for the church in Macedonia, that heavenly grace is what activates human generosity. Heavenly grace is what moves us to be generous in the good times and in the bad times. And so the source of unthinkable generosity in these churches was the grace of God. God took an impossible situation. He made it possible for people to give generously. He made it possible for people to feel joy. It made it possible for people to do what was unthinkable, even in those moments. And so the other day, uh, my son Levi and I, we were out uh, playing at the clubhouse in our complex. My, my parents had gotten him this, this really uh, cool model airplane that you, when you put it together, you could throw it and it would do these amazing loop-de-loops. And, and Levi would just come alive whenever we throw it. So we'd be out in the, in the outside and we'd, and we'd throw this, this airplane and it would loop and loop and loop. And we were just having this amazing time at the, the clubhouse in our complex. And, and as is prone to happen when, when I get with my boys and we start having too much fun, something inevitably goes wrong. Someone gets hurt or, or something happens that we have a great story to tell. And this was one of those moments. Uh, so one of the times I, I threw the, the plane to this amazing loop-de-loop -loop and Levi's screaming and, and it lands on the, on the roof of the, of the clubhouse. And I can just look at Levi and he is completely crushed by this reality that, that oh no, we, we might lose my plane and I'm crushed for him because it's almost an impossible situation for me to get up on that roof. I mean, there's no way to climb, there's no way to get up there. And so I'm trying to figure out how am I gonna actually care for my son in this? And then there's this moment of hope where the wind blew and, and down came the, the plane and I thought it was gonna fall down and our problem was gonna be solved and I was gonna celebrate, God, you're amazing, you're so good. You, you caused the wind to blow, this, this plane's gonna fall, but then it got stuck in the gutter. And I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe it was just the wind. Um, and so I'm sitting there and I'm looking at how crushed my son is. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to figure out a way to try and, and get this down. And so I went over to kind of look at the situation that was closest to where the plane was. And, and the situation was not good. Uh, basically, the only way to get up onto the, uh, the roof and to grab this plane was I had to stand on this railing and transverse a 10-foot gap 
uh, all the while trying not to fall 15 feet down uh, onto concrete um, because there's this staircase that went down uh, on the side of the building. And as I'm trying to figure out how to do this and I'm trying to gauge, can I actually do this? My son, Levi, he looks at me and he goes, you can do it, daddy. And I look back at him and I said, yeah, but daddy wants to walk home today, Levi. And uh, we laughed. And then uh, my wife was so thankful because I eventually figured out a safe way to get the plane back. And, and she thanked me that I didn't come home on a stretcher. Um, but what struck me in this moment was the simple faith in my son, the belief in Levi that his dad, his father could do what needed to be done even with all the cards stacked against him. He could see the danger that it was and he could look at me and say, you can do it, daddy. And that struck me uh, in that moment and it strikes me again that so often in good times and, and even in bad times that there's this gap between what needs to happen and what we see as possible that we get so focused on that and we get discouraged or down or frustrated, maybe even give up because we look at the situation that we're in and we see this gap between what we see and what needs to happen and what is actually possible from our perspective. And what we really need to do is be like Levi and look at our heavenly father and think, is that possible for you, God? And the good news is, is that Jesus said, all things are possible with God. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And so when we look at our situation that we're in today, when we look at the times of trouble, when we experience stress, when we experience anxiety, when money is tight, when all those things are going on and pressing in against us, we need to hold on to that simple phrase, you can do it, daddy, when we think of God, because all things are possible with God. What seems unthinkable from a human level becomes thinkable when God shows up and he gets involved in the situation. And we need to see this church. We need to see this, that the grace of God can move us to do unthinkable things, even in the times that are hard, even in the times of trouble. When God's grace invades our lives and he begins to move, we begin to do what we never thought we would do before that happened. And I don't know about you, but I need to see that because on my best days, it's a struggle for me to give. It's a struggle for me to be generous so often in my relationship with my wife, she's been the one that's had to challenge me and pull me along in this act of giving and being generous with finances. On my best days, I can find so many reasons not to give, um, let alone in a time of trouble, um, like the one we've been in, the one we're in. Um, and you can probably find so many reasons yourself for why you can't give. You've probably thought of a few already as we've been talking about this. Maybe you're saying, well, I don't, I don't have a lot of money. So it's a real stretch for me to, to, to give, to even just give a little bit. Or I was laid off and I'm on EI and so I'm not working right now. I don't have any money coming in. And so there's no way I can give at this moment in time. I'm a student. I can't afford to give. All my money goes to school. All my money goes to, to paying off my student debt, my student loans. So you think I'll start giving once I have a steady job and I have a, a steady income and I have money and I pay off my student loans. Then I'll start giving or... Maybe you think I already give to, a, to another organization, uh, another nonprofit, and so why do I need to, to, to give to the church and what God's doing there if I'm already giving there? Like, I'm already giving there, so I'm good on my giving. I'm good on being generous. 
Or maybe you're saying, I already give my time to the church. I mean, I serve. I serve faithfully. I serve in kids' ministry. I serve in, uh, as, a, as a door host. I serve at the Welcome Center. I serve in the cafe. I, I serve with youth. Whatever it is, you're like, I give my time. And so why do I also need to go ahead and give my money too? I'm not sure I need to do that. Or maybe you're saying, well, I don't really have much margin in my life right now. So I don't really have much to give either financially or time-wise. And, and so why should I give if I don't have much time? I, that's, a, that's an obstacle for me. Or maybe you're like, I'm a young adult. I'm a child. What difference can I make with the little money that I do have? And when I can make a difference, then I'll start giving. When I can give more money, I will start giving. Now, look, I, I know all those reasons. Those are all reasons for why you can't give. And some of them are really valid. And some of them are, are true. And, and some of them uh, are really impacting your life right now. But here's the thing. If we look at the church in Macedonia, they had every reason not to give. But they gave and they gave generously out of what little they did have. And that made a difference in the world. It made a difference for the people in Jerusalem because once they gave this money, this money was taken and added to the, the bigger pot of all the churches that had given. And they took it to the poor in Jerusalem and the poor in Jerusalem were relieved. They had something given to them that changed their circumstances. And so even though we don't have a lot to give in good times and in bad times, you can give with what you have. You can give your time, your attention. You can give your gifts to serve and love others. You can give encouragement. You can give a listening ear even. You can give in all those ways. And so giving is about much more than money, but it does include money. And that's why in verses 7 and 8, Paul will go on to say, excel in giving. He's like, be great at, at being generous. Give above and beyond like the church in Macedonia. And then he says this in verse 8. He goes on, out of that excelling in giving, he says this. I say this not as a command. So now he's speaking to the church in Corinth. I say this not as a command, but to, pr but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And so Paul says, I'm not going to force you to give. He's like, I'm not going to coerce you. I'm not going to lay a burden on you to give. He's like, but I will be watching to see how you respond. I will be watching to see how you respond to the opportunity to give generously in this time, to give to help others in need. So Paul's basically, what he's doing here is he's basically challenging the church. And he's basically saying, I want to see you go and give like the church in Macedonia. I want to see you live generously, give generously, and, and be passionate to join in in what God is doing in the world. Because it will say a lot about what's important to you. It will, it will reveal what you really care about, church in Corinth. And here's the thing. We don't really like to hear that. We don't like to hear that where we put our money is, is an indicator of what's actually important to our hearts, what we actually care about. Most of the time we, we hear that and we say, well, but what I do with my money is, is personal. It's not your business. It's my own thing. Don't tell me what to do with it. And so our inner lawyer gets activated and we're like, well, hold on a second here. This is my money it's, it's, and I get to do whatever I want with it. And so don't tell me that where I'm pouring my money and my time and my energy in is an indicator of what's going on in my heart. But here's the thing. Jesus talked a lot about this. He talked a lot about how the way we use our money is actually an indicator of what's going on inside of us and what matters to us. Because Jesus knew that money has an ability to compete with God 
for a, a primary place in our life. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that has great power to, to pull our allegiance away from God um, and, and, and consume us. In the middle of one of his most famous sermons, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you find it in one of the stories of uh, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection called the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus would say something like this. He's like, you cannot serve God in money. He's like, you can only serve one or the other. Like, you can't have two masters. Either you're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to hate one and love the other. Like, you can't serve two different masters. And so you have to make a choice. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to look to to take care of you when times get hard? Who are, are you going to look to, to to build your life upon? You can't serve God and money. And, and so what Jesus is saying is, Money has this ability to push God out of the place that he is meant to occupy in our lives. It has the ability to, to rule our lives and be a place that we look to for security, um, to take care of us in life. And Jesus knew that. And so he said just before this, where we spend our money, what we spend our money, our energy, our time, our resources on is an indicator of what's important to us. He said it like this, is that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's what your heart's directing you towards. That's what your heart values. That's, what it, that's what's important to you. And so that's why Jesus eventually ended up saying, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't lay up treasures on earth. He's saying, if we really believe as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, that life is eternal, then what we need to do is give ourselves and our resources to things that resonate throughout eternity, not the things that have an expiry date. So what Jesus is getting at is like two things is that you can't serve God in money and what you give to indicates what's going on in your heart and what's important to you. And then he makes this call is like, lay up your treasures, pour yourselves into the things that will last into eternity, that will resonate in eternity. And so I want to be really clear. Jesus is not against money. If you have money, that's a grace that he's given you. Um, all the money that we have comes from, from him. And so Jesus is not against money. He is against money taking the place of God in our lives. And so the issue that we're talking about, that Jesus is talking about, is not whether you have money or not. It's whether your money has you. So Jesus is coming at us and saying, you need to be really careful. Church in Corinth, Central Heights Church, followers of Jesus. There's a huge difference between having money and your money having you. And so we need to examine our hearts. And this is what Paul is doing here is, is he's coming along and he's saying, look at this example of the church in Macedonia. Look at how they're living. Even in a time of incredible suffering, they are taking very little money and they are pouring it out for, for something bigger than themselves. They're giving generously. And that's a joy for them. That's something that they love and value and care about. And so they are directing their money into something that they see as important, the work of God in the world. And Paul is saying, now, Corinthian church, go and do the same thing. I'm calling you to it. I'm inviting you to it. I'm not going to command you, but I'm going to be seeing how you respond because how you respond will indicate what you really care about. And the same call is given to us. The same call that Paul gives to the church in Corinth is the same call that we have today in this moment in time, not in not just because, it's not just for that moment in time, it's for this moment in time that we have a call to give generously, to excel, to be great in giving of ourselves, of our attention, of our care, and of our money. And here's the thing, a change in our circumstances 
won't lead us to give if we're not already giving. A change in our circumstances won't lead us to give more, give more sacrificially if we're already giving. Circumstantial change will not be the primary force or motivator for us to start living more generously than we currently are. No, something needs to change in us. Something needs to happen inside of us, despite all that's going around, that would lead us to do the unthinkable and begin living even more generously than we currently are in this time of trouble. And that happens. That can only happen when we shift our gaze from wherever we're looking right now and we look at Jesus. And that's where Paul kind of lands the plane on this whole push about giving generously. This is what he says in verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so up to this point, what Paul has been doing has been focused on the ground with real people in real situations in a real moment in history. But in verse 9, what he does is he lifts our eyes to Jesus. He gets our gaze and our attention off of the circumstances that we're in. He wants our eyes on Jesus. And he uses that as the reason why we would ever consider giving in the first place. And the reason he gives is this, look at how generous God has been to us, church. Look at how gracious God has been to us, church. Look at Jesus, that he was rich. He was God himself, the savior of the world. He had all the riches and kingly status and worship in perfection in eternity at his disposal. And yet he chose not to hold on to that, but he gave up that all so that he could become human, live as a servant and die for us. He was rich, but he became poor for our sake, for us. He did that for a reason. So that us who were spiritually bankrupt, spiritually poor, that we could actually become spiritually rich. That we would receive salvation, connection with the creator of the universe, forgiveness of our sin. That we could become a new creation and we could walk with the present power living inside of us by the Holy Spirit. To actually go and live in a way that looks unthinkable to the world around us. To give when it's even difficult. To give when we're experiencing tight times with our money. See, Jesus did all this so that we could become rich. So we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Jesus did all this for us. He gave of himself to help us in our need. See, here's this thing that blows my mind. At the very core of Christianity is giving. An unprecedented, never to be equaled, extravagant, scandalous gift. God himself, the creator of the universe, gives himself to us. The most famous passage in the Bible probably is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. At the heart of the Christian message, the heart of our God is giving, giving of himself. And God has outgiven all of us when he gave us his son, Jesus, what was most precious to him. And Jesus gave to the utmost. He gave his own life. But more than that, let's look just before the cross that Jesus was in the most severe trouble of all time. And what was he doing all the way up until he breathed his last breath? What was he up to? Jesus was giving. 
start in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is in the garden. He's gathered his disciples around. He knows that he is just moments away from beginning the journey to where he's going to die. And he's on his knees and he's praying before God. And he knows he's going to suffer. And the Bible tells us that he's so stressed and he's so stretched thin that he's actually sweating drops of blood. And, and he's saying, God, if this could pass from me, if I could have another way, if I don't have to suffer in this way, let me take it. But not your, my will, but your will be done, he says. And so in this time of trouble, Jesus chooses to give himself to the work that would mean suffering, yes, but would also mean victory and salvation for all of us who would believe. And then you keep going along. Jesus continued to give as he's hanging on the cross. He's nailed there. He's slowly suffocating to death. What was he doing on the cross? He cries out to God and he says, my God, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He's asking God, he's interceding for the people that have nailed him to the cross, the people that are spitting on him and mocking him. He's looking at them and he's saying, forgive them, God. He's giving forgiveness. He's interceding for us as he's hanging there on the cross. He's taking care of his mom. He's hanging there and his mom's there and she's raised him. And, she, and he looks at his mom and his best friend, John, and he says, mom, it's okay. John's going to take care of you. And so he's, he's caring for his mom and he's dying on the cross. He continued to give and then he gave salvation to the criminal on the cross. One of the criminals says, can you take me to paradise with you? And Jesus looks at him as he's hanging there and he says, you'll be with me in paradise today. This is the kind of God we have. He gives and he gives and he gives until his very last breath when ultimately that last breath gives us victory over sin, Satan, and death. This is the kind of God we have. God has all given all of us. C.S. Lewis, the great writer and thinker and storyteller, he, he says this about God. He says, in God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. That God doesn't need anything, but out of his overflowing nature, out of the abundance of who he is, he desires to give. And he gave in his son, Jesus. He gave us everything that we could ever want in Jesus. And so here's the question, why give? Why give? Why would we ever consider giving at all? Because God's generosity knew no limit when he gave us Jesus. Because God has already given us everything in Jesus. Why give? We give in response to what God has already given us. He's been incredibly, eternally generous to us. And so we receive that and then it flows out of us and we want to, we desire to, we plead and beg like the Macedonians to join God in what he's doing in the world, to give to others and help them in their need. Why give? So that we can show others the same kind of generosity that God has shown us. That's the game changer right there for me. It's the game changer for us. It's why the church in Macedonia experienced great joy and unthinkable generosity, even in a time of trouble. And it's why we can go beyond thinking about ourselves and thinking about giving to actually going and giving generously, even in a time like a global pandemic, even in a time when money's tight, even when all the cards are stacked against us. That is why we can give. That is why we can be generous in response to the generosity of God, because we have a God who gave us what we didn't deserve and could never earn, because we have a God who gave generously to us so that we could then go and do the same for others. We have to let that sink in.
Because when it does, something changes in us. Something happens inside of us. And, and we don't just feel this duty or this obligation to go give. We actually become willing to do the unthinkable. To give ourselves, to give our time, to give our energy, our attention. And yes, even our money in a time of trouble. But here's the thing, church. We don't just give. We give to the greatest cause this world has ever seen. Jesus, right before he left earth to go back to heaven, he was talking to his disciples and he gave them what's called the Great Commission. He said, go therefore into all the world, make disciples of all nations, of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have taught you. And so Jesus has given us this, this mission to go and and, and, and reach people and share the good news. He's given us a mission to go find lost people and point them to the one who can bring them home. Uh, the mission to see dead people come alive to faith in Jesus, to live as they were created to live. We have this mission to see the kingdom of God break into this world in greater ways. And this author and this pastor and this blogger, James Emery White, says that we need to hold on to this idea because so often we're looking for something to give to and we look to causes and organizations. And that's amazing. But he says this, which I think is really profound. And we got to rally around this as a church, even in this time. He says the church, the church of Jesus Christ, his body, his people, not a building, but the people of God represent the cause of Christ in this world and is on the front lines of engaging those in need around the world. So you and me, church, we've been invited to be a part of the greatest cause this world has ever seen, the most important cause this world has ever seen, to be on the front lines of helping people in their need, to seeing dead people come to life in Jesus, to see marriages restored, to see hurting people comforted, to see uh, people walking in freedom. We are on the front lines of the greatest cause this world has ever seen. And we're invited to play a part by giving our time, by giving our energy, by giving our resources, our money. That's where your money goes to, church. It's not to some something that is just out there. It is something that is all going towards the greatest cause in the world. So what does your money go to when you give to Central Heights Church? It goes to making more and growing followers. Like we are committed as a church to see people come to know Jesus, to see the lost found, to walk with them, to see them uh, grow in the relationship with Jesus. Your money goes towards seeing people come to salvation and then walk in freedom and joy in Jesus. Your money goes to support missionaries all around the world and here at home, people who are on the front lines, working with people who have never heard of Jesus before, working with kids who have been caught and enslaved in sex trafficking, people who uh, have no hope in this world. This money that you give, the, the big amounts and the little amounts, it all goes towards supporting people who are on the front lines in many different ways through film and media and, and planting churches and, and walking and discipling people and being friends, that money goes to support them in the work they're doing on the front lines to see the cause of Jesus move forward. It goes to see water wells dug in places that have no access to water and then people come alongside them and share the gospel that, hey, this water can nourish your body physically, but there's one who can nourish your soul eternally. And his name is Jesus. Your money goes to help people in our community. Every week people come into our offices and they're looking for help to pay rent, to pay bills. To, to put food on the table. The money you give helps us bless them and help them. We put a, a water, uh, water station at Jubilee Park. Like these are things your money's going to. It's not just 
keeping on the lights in this building or paying salaries. It's putting money into an offering so that this church can keep its lights on. More than that can be a light in the city. And so you're giving to this, this cause and it all is the cause of Christ in the world to help people in need. All of it comes together so that we can join God in what he's doing in the world. And all this helps fund, all this money you give helps fund that. It all goes to joining God in this cause. And so what if Central Heights became known by the same things the church in Macedonia was known for? A people of unthinkable generosity in a time of trouble and an unthinkable generosity after the time of trouble ended. What if we became known as a people where the power and the grace of God moved and we responded in ways that we would never have imagined, but we were willing to respond because God, we're open to God moving. What if the defining characteristic of Central Heights at this time was that we gave above and beyond, that we experienced joy because we postured ourselves in prayer and dependence upon God? What if we became known as the church who gave above and beyond even in hardship that excelled in generosity just as much as we excelled in doing community groups or youth on our Zoom chats right now or young adults or kids or, or, or living hope or, or seniors or shut-in ministry? What if we became known for that? What if we just didn't hunker down and try to ride this thing out as a church? What if we moved into the moment and we gave generously and we, we acted differently, not in fear, uh, or anxiety, but in faith and radical generosity, what if we followed in the footsteps of Jesus and became ready to give of ourselves to help others? What if we followed in the footsteps of the church in Macedonia? And we do that by posturing ourselves to receive the grace and the power of God, knowing that the grace of God cannot be stopped in times of trouble and the grace of God can motivate us to do unthinkable things like giving generously, even in a time of trouble. Do you believe that, Central Heights? Then let's go live that out and change the world as we do so. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this story of real people at a real time in history and that this story can traverse thousands of years and yet still speak so purely and relevantly into our current situation. I thank you for your grace and your power, God, that you are willing to pour yourself out for us to the point where you would give your very self to us so that we could experience life and life to the full. I thank you, God, that this people in the church of the Macedonia said yes to you and were willing to, to, to respond and give what they could and to, to join you in what you're doing. I pray, God, for an outpouring of your grace and your power amongst us, amongst your church around the world, amongst Central Heights, that we would receive that grace and power, that we would be filled with the joy that our circumstances couldn't touch, and that we would be moved to be a people who live generously, even when all the cards are stacked against us. I thank you, Jesus, that you've set the example. Give us the power and the courage and the willingness to respond I pray a blessing over our people. I pray you would be with them, that you'd bless them and keep them, that you would make your face shine upon them in this season. And I pray, God, that many people would come to know you and experience your love, your comfort, because we did the unthinkable even in a time of trouble. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.